And good morning, everyone. And um, I'd like to thank um, Alistair and colleagues for inviting me to speak um, at this event today. And as Alison has said, um, very much home ground for me, because um, whilst I, I work now for the Joseph Roundtree Housing Trust and the Joseph Roundtree Foundation in York, um, I still live on Victoria Dock in Hull. And prior to working for the Joseph Roundtree Housing Trust and Foundation, um, I worked for Hull City Council in housing for about 25 years. So it does feel very much like a homecoming. And it was really nice to not have to travel up the 1079 today. <laughs> Bishop Allison and I were just uh, comparing notes. It's, uh, you need to set off very early to make that um, a pleasurable drive. Um, so Alistair asked me to cover sort of rather grandly the bigger, the bigger picture. Um, so hopefully I'm going to cover some of the, the context of the discussions that we'll be having um, throughout the day and some of the, the policy drivers that we need to be mindful of. Before I go any further, can everybody hear me okay at the back? Excellent, thank you. So just to provide a little bit of context about um, the organisation that I um, now work for, so there's the Joseph Roundtree Foundation and the Joseph Roundtree Housing Trust, um, and it's two arms of one organisation in effect. We have the same board of trustees, um, but really the foundation, Joseph Roundtree Foundation, um, undertakes the research and policy elements of activity. But the Joseph Roundtree Housing Trust that I work for, um, whilst working very closely with the foundation, is fun fundamentally just a small housing association working in the northeast um, of England. So, in terms of all um, the issues that, that housing associations have to deal with, um, we are we are battling with with those issues. We're relatively small, as I say, we have about two and a half thousand properties. Um, mainly in York, but we also have properties in Scarborough, Hartlepool, Leeds and a number of, number of other areas. But primarily our stock is focused around um, New Earswick and the garden village that Joseph Roundtree founded um, in the, the early 1900s and linked to the Roundtree factory. Um, so really, um, in terms of the organisation... Um, Again, it might seem to be a bit of a grand um, purpose, but the purpose of the organisation is to realise a vision of a prosperous, poverty-free UK. And all of the work that we do, and particularly on the research side, is through the lens of poverty. And we look at how we can search through the research element, and then where we have the opportunity to demonstrate what might work in terms of um, reducing um, and eliminating poverty. And then, where we've um, tested something, do we have the opportunity to influence? And again, hold on to the belief that poverty doesn't have to be inevitable. So just really to, to look at um, where we are in terms of the, the housing context and the housing policy... In the past, um, and up till very recently, the research that Joseph Roundtree Foundation has undertaken has strongly evidenced that actually good quality, affordable housing and a range of options actually are a very, poverty, very powerful anti-poverty tool. 
so that having those elements in place can really support people who otherwise might struggle to make ends meet. And just looking at the, the graphic um, on the screen, which unfortunately seems to have a black bit at the bottom, I don't know why. Apologies for that. Not good enough policy. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was like a sort of message. It, 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 it looks like that. It certainly doesn't look like that on mine, so I'm not quite <coughs> sure what's happening. If you could read it without the black tab bit, the three legs of the stool would be social housing, the homelessness safety net, and the housing benefit framework. So those three elements do collectively um, provide mitigation um, against poverty. And certainly in terms of, of the UK housing system, by um, international standards, we have had um, quite a, an enviable supply of social housing and a supportive homelessness safety net. But as um, I think we'll all know, each of these legs of the stool um, is now being um, eroded, really, in terms of the policy and context so certainly in terms of availability of affordable social housing, um, impacts on homelessness provision and um, tightening of housing benefit um, provision. So we are seeing restricted housing options, particularly for people with limited means. So okay, we've got rid of the, uh, the black on this one, so that's helpful. So in terms of overall provision, we are seeing um, a reduction in availability of social housing. And currently, one in ten people in England, um, sorry, one in seven today um, people in England are housed in social housing. But the estimates are by two, um, 2040 that will reduce um, to one in ten people. And actually, these calculations and these estimates were undertaken before um, the general election and before the Housing and Planning Act, so that we know there were already issues in terms of supply levels um, pre the changes that we're seeing, but we know that that will be further impacted by um, the recent legislative changes. And again, the JRF research um, demonstrates that we can't contain poverty even at current levels, and a figure that my colleagues in JRF tell me he's right, but I think he's just staggering. 13 million people in the UK are living in poverty, which is just um, a, an unbelievable figure. And as I've said, if the provision of low-cost, affordable, rented homes continues to decline, when we look at that from a, a poverty mitigation point of view, um, we can only see that there is the potential for, for poverty to increase. So just to cover the recent legislative changes, and I appreciate people here will be uh, maybe aware of, of some of all of this, so I'll just run through um, the recent changes that the Housing and Planning Act um, will introduce. So it's received uh, Royal Assent in, in the last few weeks, um, and the Act provides a framework in actual fact, quite a lot of the detail is going to come out through regulation. So some of the detail we're not quite sure of yet, but in terms of the direction of travel, um, we know what um, the proposals are, and we certainly know the government's direction of travel in terms of um, promoting home ownership. Um, so there's been the extension of the right to buy to housing association tenants. Now, that's been a feature in terms of local authority housing um, for some years now. 
that has been extended, although um, in terms of the housing association sector, that is um, on a voluntary basis. However, the presumption is that the properties will be available for sale in the housing association sector and we're awaiting guidance on what that's going to mean in practice. Um, and each, each um, housing association will need to, to develop um, a policy around that. But certainly, presumption is that properties will be sold if that's what the resident um, wants. And to fund the discounts that will be available to housing association tenants, so in the same way that local authority tenants have been able to ask, access right-to-buy discounts for some years... That will be offered to housing association residents, but that will be funded by local authorities being required to sell off the high-value council properties when they become void. So there will be a presumption and government will calculate how many properties they think local authorities will have coming void. They'll define what they mean by high-value and then they will, the Treasury will take the money from the local authority, whether those properties are sold or not. Now, again, that's where we'll get more detail through regulation. But in terms of local authority stock, you know, this, again, this presumption that properties will be sold, particularly around the high-value um, high properties. Now, in terms of the sale of the housing association stock, there is a presumption that properties will then be replaced on a one-for-one -one basis so that if somebody that's a Jersey Foundry Housing Trust resident exercises the right to buy, they will buy their property, but we will be required to fund the replacement of an, an, a new property or a replacement property. But the key thing there is it's one-for-one, -one, not like-for-like. -like. So we will have lost a social rented property it won't necessarily be replaced by another social rented property. Again, the government, um, in terms of its policy direction on home ownership, has introduced the concept through the Housing and Planning Act of starter homes um, and announcing that there's going to be 200,000 starter homes. These are going to be aimed at the 23 to 40 age bracket and will um, provide for a 20% discount on new homes. But in terms of development and developers, um, the requirement on developers, the concern is that starter homes purely focused on home ownership, will replace affordable homes for rent in terms of um, new build provision. And CIH have estimated um, that in terms of... Sorry, that's the Chartered Institute of Housing, that the range of changes are going to result in around 350,000 lost social rented homes in England by 2020, when all of the changes are taken into account. People will also... Um, probably have heard of the, um, the concept of pay-to-stay. This has been um, voluntary previously, but now will be mandatory for local authorities. Um, there'll be a threshold um, of £31,000. If people earn more than £31,000, they will then have to pay more rent, and it'll be on a sort of a phased um, approach. So again, that's going to have an impact on people's decisions um, in terms of... Um, whether they might want to exercise the right to buy, whether they want to stay in the property that they're in. Um, how, um, in terms of access to work, 
in terms of their overall income, how, how that sits, because it's that knowledge that actually £31,000 isn't a huge income in terms of an overall household income. And then um, mandatory fixed-term tenancies for local authorities. Um, again, we're expecting more guidance on this. It's something that's been optional up to now, but it will be mandatory. Um, and local authorities, other than in some areas where there might be some flexibility, will be looking at a maximum 10-year um, tenancy that they'll be able to um, be able to give. So just to look at some of the um, some of the impacts and, and thinking about um, where are people going to if we're seeing a reduction in the social um, rented sector, and we know that we've got um, an increase in the private rented sector, um, and when we look at private rents um, in in that sector, again work through the Joseph Rowntree Foundation estimates that. Um, rents are set to rise um, by around 90% in real terms between um, 2008 and 2040. The key element of this is that if you look at the graphic, they're expected to rise twice as quickly as income levels. So if people aren't able to access the social rented sector and the private rented sector is an option that they look at, in terms of increasing rents against income, that is a potential issue. Um, and whilst we know that the private rented sector can offer a really valuable um, option for people and we have some good quality private rented properties, um, we also know that um, the private rented sector, there's three time, you're three times more likely to have hazards in the home um, than you are in social housing. So in terms of how we re regulate that sector, there are issues for us. And in terms of people living in the private rented sector, who were living in poverty, the figures have doubled in the last 10 years. Um, Two million more people living in poverty in the private rented sector, and that includes a significant number of children as well. It's not about you know, adults, there are children living in poverty in the private rented sector. And again, we know in terms of the private rented sector, there can be instability around security of tenure, and ending of assured chart-hold tenancies um, is the biggest single cause of, of homelessness. Um, so some real issues in terms of the options that are available for people. And in terms of looking at overall benefit changes, um, thinking about the, um, the three-legged stool again, and I don't know how clear this, this graphic is, but fundamentally it's aiming to demonstrate um, in terms of benefit cap, which has been reduced to 20,000. Um, so the pink line is the previous benefit cap, the blue um, bar is the benefit cap in London and the orange um, is uh, the new cap in the rest of um, Great Britain. So what that's demonstrating is how much money is left to pay for housing costs once um, household income support rates are, are taken off. And, and certainly when you get to a family with three children, there's, there wouldn't be sufficient left to even um, fund social housing um, through the new benefit cap that's been introduced. And that's not London, that's um, in, in, in Great Britain generally. Um, so a real tightening there in terms of um, availability of, of, of benefit provision for the housing element. And we also know about the changes um, for under-35s and question marks around local housing allowance caps for supported housing as well, which are creating significant um, concerns. 
Um, but when we look at that in terms of overall um, benefit arrangements, the housing benefit bill continues to rise. So although there's been a tightening of um, the arrangements, we are still seeing an increase um, currently at £24 billion per annum, the housing, housing benefit bill. And I've mentioned already um, the context is currently um, a government focus on home ownership, which for some people is right and I'm sure is something that you know, we, would, we would welcome um, and welcome the provision of 200,000 um, new starter homes. But actually what's required is more homes of all tenures to, to create options um, for people. And although there is still grant going into new build provision, it's around two billion um, a year, and much of that now focused on home ownership, not affordable homes for rent. But again, if you think about two billion compared to a twenty-four billion housing benefit um, bill, it's it's significant. And just to look at that graphic in terms of. People that have just entered um, social housing uh, more recently, only 3% could actually access um, a starter home or even a shared ownership product. So the you know, home ownership isn't going to be the solution for, for many households. So really we would want to be seeing affordable rented properties alongside um, home ownership provision. Now, the biggest challenge Alistair gave me, he said, could I provide the bigger picture, but some opportunities for optimism. <laughs> so here goes. But I'll leave that to Dave and Andy to do I, the I optimistic, optimistic bit. So are there opportunities through the devolution agenda? Um, certainly we know that Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland are taking different approaches um, to looking at their housing policy certainly in support of the social rented sector. So as devolution um, increases, could that, be, um, could that be an opportunity? And certainly when we look at um, the, um, the New London Mayor and his, um, his manifesto, again, um, very much an emphasis on affordable, um, affordable homes. Um, so some potential opportunities there. I guess today what we're going to be talking about is what can communities do and what part can we all play in terms of looking for solutions. And there are lots of examples of community-led um, solutions um, that are already in place that are really creative and, and can be built on. But I think the concern there is, do they provide the scale that's required when we look at the scale of um, the issue um, in terms of, of housing provision? Um, in the country. And certainly, it's, as, as is always the case when you get challenging circumstances, it does promote innovation. So certainly in terms of low-cost um, construction, um, it's, been, it's been something that's been emerging you know, for a number of years, but certainly use of modular homes to, to cut down the actual cost of provision. Legal and general have just opened a new, um, a new factory, Sherbin and Elmer, and that's something that they're focusing on, they're not on their own in that you know, in that approach. So again, it does create um, potential for creativity and innovation. And my final slide really is just, I guess, the purpose of today really. Um, the current context, you know, whatever our political persuasion, we know we've got challenges to face and it needs um, responses from all of us. 
We need to look at every opportunity to continue to deliver low-cost rented homes. That is, it has to be a given. We have to look at every opportunity. And it's looking at the roles of the local authorities, looking at the voluntary sector, looking at housing associations that, that like I, I work for, and how we can work in partnership to provide a response. Um, so in terms of my own housing association, we are looking at where we'll be able to still deliver um, low-cost, um, affordable rented homes as part of the developments. But I think the issue is to look at who's got the land, who might have the borrowing headroom, headroom to be able to secure loans, who can access grants, and how can that collectively come together to create um, some opportunities um, to ensure that we're creating um, options for all people to be able to to, to look for um, appropriate housing, affordable housing that meets the needs um, without being dominated by options that only provide for a certain percentage of people seeking, um, seeking homes.